Hello, this is J.W. Oliver with Global Impact Podcast, and we're looking on how your businesses can make an impact in ministry. I'm J.W., and I've got Peter Kazikas with me. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, He's the CEO and co-founder of Uncommon, and uh, it's an ed tech nonprofit that brings high-quality technology training to low-income communities in Zimbabwe, with its mission is to empower young adults in their technology education opportunities. They need to change the trajectory of their lives and community. So, wow, good to have you on here. It's, it's, I don't ever get, I had uh, a dentist on recently who's from Zimbabwe, but this would definitely be the first time I've had somebody from the U.S., who's working in Zimbabwe. So quite, quite unusual. Yeah. I mean, what a special place. So I, I wish that more Americans would get a chance to visit. Yeah. That's uh, I say that all the time. If you could just imagine uh, or envision some people of high integrity, high moral values, uh, just friendly, easy to get along with. Uh, most people hear a difference of places like Zimbabwe, but when you go there, you really get to feel the spirit of the people for sure. I'm sure you've experienced yeah. that many times. Absolutely. So tell me about this entrepreneurial journey you had, and maybe even, maybe if you will, even start earlier about um, how you heard about uh, the group, how in common, but maybe tell me about yourself, where you're raised, where you're from, and and how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess well, my as I was sort of mentioning before we went on air, my first exposure to Zimbabwe was was as a child, uh, seven or eight years old, and and hearing about this nonprofit that played basketball there, and and that planted a seed as a young kid of just Zimbabwe as a country and, and Africa as a region and a place to want to to visit, and um, had some amazing volunteer experiences in Zimbabwe. So it had touched me pretty early on, and when I was a Senior in college, I ended up uh, winning the, the school's pitch competition, and this was for an uh, app, some app I do not need to get into. It clearly didn't work out, um, but won the competition, and, and that gave me the confidence to not follow my peers into sort of Wall Street or consulting or where everybody was going and, and get a, uh, a job, and I took a more untraditional route and ended up uh, applying and getting accepted into an accelerator program in Silicon Valley called the Founder Institute, which was really about seed stage um, tech startups and learning how to build them. And that was a very, very cool experience. I was um, Uber driving at night and and going through this program during the day. And I was like, probably uh, everybody's least favorite Uber driver because I was constantly pitching them on my idea as we were going and sort of refining the pitch and um, ended up having this really great experience, but ultimately um, I mean, we were testing out the app and, and sort of going through these soft launches and, and unfortunately, or fortunately at the time, got the attention of this TV show, Planet of the Apps. It was Apple's first ever, um, first ever TV show, I think. And, and the idea was, let's get celebrity judges, Will I Am, Gwyneth Paltrow, Gary Vee, and Jessica Alba to... Um, kind of like have a shark tank version just for apps. And, and we went on that, that show and gave our elevator pitch. That was so Hollywood, literally uh, going down an elevator as we were, ta- as we were pitching our, 
our company and we just we got obliterated by the judges i mean i think they thought it was like the worst possible uh <laughs> idea and it was what i can say is that it was worse in person than it was on tv after the fact <laughs> and it, it it took a couple of years to even watch it i you know long story short after that um experience we all kind of decided okay let's let me just guess I, though, stop you there i'm guessing gary v was the worst one that just obliterated you you know, Gary Vee was actually, he was, he was pretty nice and he, um, he kind of held his tongue. Uh, it was more of the other like celebrities that, that, uh, had <laughs> just a, let kind of interesting it. critiques. Yeah. He, his was actually fair. He, he was very fair with us. Um, well, he's an entrepreneur, so he probably had a different view than Alba and Pat, you know, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, nothing against any of them. Ultimately this sort of big humiliation was what led me down this really, really amazing journey that I've been on ever since. So I, I couldn't be more grateful for them for that. Um, but so basically I, I realized, okay, can't just be an ideas guy. I need to understand a little bit about technology if, if I'll ever try something again. And I ended up going back to New York and, and got a job teaching coding and robotics to kids. Um, and, and just kind of honestly learning how to code through them and through that experience. And again, that was sort of a very challenging experience to, to stand in front of a group of 10 year olds and try to teach them how to code when I, myself, like really didn't know much about it. And, and uh, teaching very, you as well, right? Exactly. Teaching me, expecting answers. And, and it was very, um, an, an enriching experience and it's wonderful. But what struck me was. One, how amazing it was that these kids had access to this. I mean, 10 years old, eight years old, coding on Mondays, robotics classes on Tuesdays, and machine learning and 3D printing. Was this in a traditional, like a traditional school as well? Like just a regular public school? This was after school. Yeah, this was an after school program. Um, And uh, they were doing some work in in public schools, but mostly it was in private schools and uh, after school. And it was a for-profit business and it was a really loop business. I mean, these guys did, did great. There were tons of, of parents that wanted to sign up their kids for these technology lessons. Uh, but what struck me during that experience was how there's, there were so many kids out there that didn't have that access. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, you don't have to go all the way to Zimbabwe to find kids that don't have access. You could go from parts of Manhattan to parts of Brooklyn or, or you know, even in just a, a 10 minute walk, you can find kids that don't have access, but it, it gave me the idea that, geez, this could be a way to go back to Zimbabwe and, and maybe I can just do what they're doing, teach kids how to code, teach kids how to program robots, but in a place that really has no, as far as I was aware at the time, very limited access. And how old were you Uh, at the time you were teaching in New York? Um, geez, I was, I think 2016. So I was 23, 23 or 24 years old. Um, and I called up some of my friends, the, these guys that I had volunteered playing basketball with in, in Zimbabwe when I was 17 or 18, so a few years earlier, and asked them if they had jobs. They said at the moment they were unemployed, asked them if they'd be interested in trying to teach kids how to code, and they were very interested in that. Um, and that was it. I, I went back to this elementary school where, where I went and where this guy first came to pitch his nonprofit, and they donated 20 laptops. And, um, wow. Uh, yeah, and then we went to Zimbabwe, and the initial model was let's train unemployed young adults to teach kids, and that's what we did. And we just were there testing out 
a bunch of theories. Could we teach without reliable electricity, without reliable internet? Would first-time computer users be able to grasp the concepts? Would the family support us? Would the kids enjoy it? And it was just so clear that there's a huge demand and a huge hunger and thirst for this knowledge and these types of academic uh, experiences, but very little supply. So we, we had an amazing four months there. It was right before the, the military coup. We kind of got to experience um, this amazing historic moment in, in Zimbabwe. And, um, and we just had a wonderful time with the students that we were working with, with the young adults that we were training and, and really got the confidence to try to, to turn this into an actual organization to raise money and come back and see if we could continue uh, improving on the impact. And, and so uh, that, that's, I think that's amazing. The story, here you are seven years old and you, you, you see the, the benefits of the sports piece and then you end up going to Zimbabwe um, and then coming full circle only because your app got shot down. You know, it's funny because <laughs> had that, I, I guess we all dream about going to Silicon Valley or becoming a, you know, the wolf of Wall Street or whatever it is, right? And we're going to, we're going to make a trillion dollars and we're going to be the next Bill Gates. And it's funny how God can use a, a lot of blockades and walls and U-turns and to say, no, 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 I need you doing this over here. So amazing transformation from age seven to 23 and you just get kicked into a whole new zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been really amazing. Uh, each of these lessons along the way, each of these experiences. And, and I mean, so much, from 23 to now, 28, almost 29, there's been a lot that's happened since then uh, that I'm just so grateful for. So I, I, I feel very, very lucky that, that things happen the way they did, the good and the bad. Well, tell me a little bit about the group Uncommon, I guess. <clears throat> tell me where that, that name came from. And the reason I tell you this is because I, I started a group and I still have the website. Matter of fact, it's still in operation in a small town I grew up in where we were teaching uh, a lot of the African-American kids who grew up in a lot of these poverty areas, he was a former NFL player. And I, well, not, not high an NFL player, a former friend of mine I played high school football with, he played in the NFL. He came back after he retired and started uh, working with kids and we call it be uncommon. And it's actually, I believe it's be uncommon.org. It's still there, but wow. uh, tell me where the name uncommon came from and, and tell me what the organization is specifically doing in Zimbabwe now. Yeah, so when we first went over with this idea for a youth coding organization, it was called SPROUT, uh, which was an acronym for Science, Programming, and Uncommon Technologies. And our idea was that we would uh, be teaching kids about all different types of technology, uh, not just coding, but it'd be like this magical place of, of sort of science and discovery. Um, the model changed over the years, and, and as we went from this youth-oriented nonprofit, we, we started to become more of this we, uh, adult-focused education sort of social enterprise. Um, and, and besides, I mean, you guys nailed it, be uncommon. And that's a really sort of nice aspiration for people uh, and a challenge. And it really, uh, I think people are proud to be uncommon, especially if, if it's in this way of education and technology and whatnot. Um, but really, Part of that uncommon story is this business model, and it's still something that we're working on, but we've always wanted to think sort of creatively around our sustainability and, 
and try to take the best of the for-profit and nonprofit worlds and, and create a really lasting organization. Um, so we're, as a nonprofit, we're trying to think about business and think about our business model differently. And one of the ways we do that is by offering these design development and marketing services to clients. Uh, but our differentiator is that 100% of the profit is used to fund this education mission. And we think that's uncommon. And, and we think that the whole approach that we take to really investing in uh, the high density, low income communities, not extracting talent, but actually investing heavily in these areas and, and trying to create these beautiful, unique spaces in these environments. I mean, everything that we do is, is very different. Um, so we think it works from a, a business model messaging to just uh, a challenge to the students to, to not take the uh, the path there to take the path least traveled and, and to really try to, to dis, despite and against the odds persevere and do something that is uncommon. So this is kind of a lot wrapped into it. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's uh, but, it, but it, so you're, you're actually bringing a pretty high tech um, skill set into these uh, low income and high density areas. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, uh, we have zero barriers to entry. So there's no prerequisites when it comes to academic qualifications. We've got high school dropouts, we've got um, uh, people that, that barely made, you know, through their secondary levels. So on that side, it doesn't matter. We've got students that have never used a computer before they join our program. Um, but our focus, yes, is on employability. So we have sort of two stages to the program. Uh, the young adults that enter are committing to a 12-month boot camp, entirely free, where they're learning uh, UI, UX design, coding, and digital marketing before specializing and, and getting mentored by professionals from, from around the world. But part of their learning experience is that they have to volunteer and teach kids how to code. So that's where the youth coding element comes in is that uh, from these spaces that we built, we train adults in the morning and then they trickle out to all the schools and provide free after-school coding lessons to the kids in the community. Uh, but it, yeah, in regards to that adult training, the goal is really employability and, and working in the tech workforce. And, and on this sort of uncommon agency side, we are building websites and, and designing products for companies all over the world. So uh, we're, we're still have a long way to go, but it's really cool that, that uh, these young adults from these communities are, are getting exposure and, and working with amazing professionals and, and getting to do this type of work. It's really, really very cool. Wow. No, I mean, that's so. So you're kind of. I guess in some respects, you're you're training the teachers who can then go train the kids. Is that correct? Yeah. And we're that's that was the initial model. Let's take unemployed young adults and train them to be coaches teachers and then they teach kids. Uh, what we realized with that model was one, at the time we couldn't afford to have a bunch of teachers on staff. And two, those young adults that were now quote unquote teachers had reached their ceiling of learning and they weren't getting so much out of the program anymore. I mean, yes, they were role models. Yes, they were teaching these really important skills to the young kids. But when their learning stopped, it kind of, it, the program lost a little bit of energy and it, it sort of, it felt like, geez, there's still way more we can do here. And that was when we shifted the model. Now, uh, the idea was we're still gonna, we're gonna heavily invest on these young adults who be, they were being trained to be teachers. Now we're gonna train them for the workforce. But part of that development is 
teaching kids. And the reason why we do that is not just to, to give back to the community, but we're dealing with young adults that have never really been in leadership positions before that don't have work experience that are, may have had, you know, other issues or have come from, from challenging backgrounds. So now that they're, they're role models in the community, they're leaders in the community, the, the kids are, are looking up to them like superstars because they're teaching them how to build things with computers. It's very empowering. And it's, it's sort of part of our soft skills development that happens subliminally without subliminally without uh, the young adults even realizing it, that they're becoming leaders. And that makes them even more employable. It's one thing to just know how to code or design, but if you can code and design and lead and be responsible, um, that, that's, that's a big differentiator for our students. And, and how many areas are you in in Zimbabwe now? I'm in, around, I assume all of them around Harare. Uh, and, yeah, and how many so, of them are there? Yeah, so these physical spaces, we call them innovation hubs, and, and we have six total. Five of them are old shipping containers that, that we've really designed in a funky way, put solar panels on them, uh, and made them these really, really unique, cool learning spaces. Uh, and those five or four of those are in Harare. We also have one brick and mortar space in Harare. We took an old school block that had been kind of a storage room and turned it into this really, really modern looking workspace, which is wow. also very cool. Yeah, I mean, you walk down the school campus and there's kids everywhere. There's these old brick buildings everywhere. And ours looks exactly the same on the outside. But on the inside, it's just plants, white brick walls, glass windows. It's very, really quite cool. Um, but we built our first space in July of 2019. And we launched our sixth space a few months ago. And that was our first in Bulawayo. So we're now uh, operating okay. across the two cities. Yep. And then hopefully this year we'll be launching our first in Victoria Falls and, and expanding in Bulawayo and Harare as well. So God willing, we can raise the money and, and uh, keep expanding this work because it really is important. And as I mentioned before, um, when we were testing out these hypotheses and, and, and really understood how much demand there was and, and how little supply there was for free technology education, that was five years ago. And I thought for sure, by now, there'd be tons of people doing the same thing. And I, it's sad to say that we're still the only one in these communities offering these types of services for free, uh, providing computers, providing internet, providing this education. And our students are being mentored by uh, specialists that train Amazon and Google Cloud uh, engineers. And we've got mentors from, wow. from Pinterest and Facebook and amazing companies that are tuning into Zimbabwe and, and working with our students. So. I wish there was more organizations like ours in these communities because there's so many more students and we, we don't have the capacity to reach them all, these young adults. Um, what, what's the average age that are, that are in these, that are, that are working in these hubs or training in these hubs? Yeah, uh, the average age I would guess is about 23, 24, 25, but actually we just put out a big survey across these six locations. We had, um, We've uploaded 500 responses, but we, we surveyed 1,200 people that were in between 18 and 32. And, and uh, our, our intention was to collect data on our target demographic, not our students, but on the, the communities and the demographic itself. Um, and so far with the 500 uploaded responses, and this is all done manually, so it takes a little while to, to get the data in, but 80% of the people that we surveyed do not have internet access at home. Wow. Uh, only 40% have, have computers. And I think just over half 
claim to have or say that they have reliable electricity at home. 60% were unemployed, 20% were informally employed, and only about 18 to 19, 20% were formally employed. So that's like a snapshot of, of the community. A majority, I think almost 70% didn't, uh, their schooling ended at after secondary level. So that's kind of the, and these are high density communities. So there's a lot of people. Um, and that's kind of the, the profile of the young adults. So for us, there's so much more we could do. Uh, I mean, there's so much room for growth and, and we could bring in so many more people. So I hope that we'll be able to. How do you, how do you identify those, the, the ones that are right for the program? How do you say we're going to select Peter and JW for the program? How do you, how do you go about screening them? Yeah, that's a process that we're, is, we're still evolving. And I'd say we've gotten better at it over time, but it's still not perfect. Um, and again, we have no prerequisites. So everybody is, is welcome to apply. I mean, we, we do have an age range that we're looking for. And we're definitely not offering this program to people that, that are currently employed uh, in the tech space. It, it, you know, this is a full-time program and it's geared at people that are that are likely unemployed or perhaps on, on fixed income. Um, but so we just put out an application, we share it with our networks and then we do um, interviews and I guess a couple round of interviews and then accept people. And what we're looking for more than anything is intrinsic motivation. So can you just demonstrate that, that, that you've got grit or that you're, you're willing to put in the, the work and effort. It really doesn't matter if you passed or failed your exams, if you, if you finished high school or went to college or not. What matters is, is do you seem like you're gonna be passionate about this type of work? And do you seem like, can you, can you demonstrate that, that you won't give up? Because it's not easy. Um, it's not rocket science. Anyone can learn these skills. I, I really believe that. I, I learned them, you know, by teaching these kids. So I think anyone can do it for sure. But it's not, uh, it's not easy. It takes time and it takes effort and it takes perseverance. So that's really what we're looking for. If, can you demonstrate that that motivation? Well, I, I'm I'm seeing a I'm seeing a, a connection for ZimWorks and and you're in an uncommon. It sounds like you train them and we'll have we'll find them a job and give them a place to work and yeah put them into a remote job. That would be an amazing uh, little partnership as well. I yeah. I mean, uh, one stat from the survey also, and uh, a, a lot of people reported $0 of annual income, but we still, we were, uh, you know, some people were employed or formally informally and, and still the average annual income was $600 uh, from this group that we surveyed this over 500 wow. responses. You know, like Zimbabwe's minimum wage, I believe, is around $75 a month. So, and I think the average GNI is about $1,200. Um, but what I can say is the students that we're placing are earning, you know, 10x that. Um, so it's really, it's really cool. And I imagine if they start outsourcing, if they start working for companies that are, that are really uh, outsourcing uh, to Western clients or, or international yeah. clients, I mean, it's life changing. It's truly, truly life changing. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a, uh, well, the Bible app, Life Church, the Bible app, we've got some uh, clients that are working on some of the back end and have worked on some of the back end of that uh, design. And so, you know, uh, there's, when you see him, one of the guys that got the job, I'll never forget, he, he was interviewing and he just started crying on the interview. This was about two or three years ago. And it was just like, whoa. And they were so, they were so humbled by the fact that, you know, he got offered the job and he just 
broke down in tears. And so I think we don't realize the importance. You know, we live in a place where, uh, contrary to um, the television, you, you would think we live in a place that's uh, just horrible, you know, but uh, we don't we don't worry about things like that. We have usually a selection of jobs to pick from and choose where you want to live yeah. and which car you want to drive. And so there a lot of times, uh, as you know, um, just having a job is one thing, but being able to line up yourself with um, an international company or at least a, a global company is, is, is a big deal. And that job is important as they, as they develop it as well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's so true. And, and something that I've really come to appreciate and believe is that we all are, are equal. And, and, uh, you know, if I was in the shoes of one of our students, I probably would be, you know, like, there's nothing special about me. It's really just about opportunities and access. And every one of our students is proving that. And I think, you know, we all would respond in the same if we were in the same economic environment, same uh, uh, situation. So I think it's, it's really just about opportunity. There's, there's genius and brilliance all everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, it's just sadly in, in these communities, um, the opportunity isn't there, but, but we definitely have the talent. Um, there's definitely young adults in our program at your company in Zimbabwe that can perform at a high, high level. And it's just yeah. a, a matter of opportunity, nothing else. How many students have you been able to train to date and, and, and what is kind of your goal for annual or even on a, on a, you know, a yearly basis, if you will? Yeah, our, I mean, we definitely have been disrupted by COVID. There's no doubt about it, especially on the youth element where we work entirely at schools. So, I mean, it's crazy. There's students that only went back to school for the first time in February wow. of this last month. Uh, and these kids, I think the Zimbabwean grade seven pass rate for 2021 was about 30 something percent. And this is when we looked at our survey results, a main reason why students didn't go on to school is because they didn't pass their exams. So if you don't pass often, that's it. You know, let's give your, your brother or sister a chance. And, and so you think about all these young kids now and, and uh, what happens when when you're out of school for two years and often at the schools that we work with, I mean, these are classroom environments where it's 80 kids, one teacher, sort of access to electricity, but, but not super consistent. So you're printing out, you know, papers when you can and passing them around. I mean, it's just a, it's a dire situation, I think. And it needs, it needs more attention for sure and more support and more funding and more help just the education space in general. Um, but at capacity and in, in normal times, our hubs were designed to accommodate 20 young adults per year in a full-time 12-month program. And then that 20 young adults would fan out and impact about a thousand children per year in the after-school program. And that's in a three-month after-school coding experience, two times per week, 75 minutes per day. So really enough time for the students, eight to 12 years old, to to really get to get a sense of the, of the magic of computer science and what they can do with computers and not just play games, but build games. Um, so we're looking forward this year to getting back onto that pace. So that would mean around 6,000 kids in the after-school program, but we're still working with the schools and, and trying to figure out when we can start uh, with them in earnest again. Our adult program has, has been, um, 
less disrupted. So we had about 120 young adults in the in the full time program um, in, in this past year, and we're looking now at, at if we can find an internet solution, how we can change the model a bit and really leverage more of, of online learning and, and virtual and remote learning and, and use our spaces differently, more as like a place to come for soft skills development, for office hours, for various lectures throughout the week, but not every day in person uh, being there. And that would allow us to use one space to run probably three or four cohorts at the same time. Um, but internet is still a challenge. You see 80% of the, of the response respondents don't have access to internet at home. And, yeah. and data, as I'm sure you're aware, is so expensive. Uh, so the thought of providing data to everybody is like prohibitive for a small nonprofit like ours. Well, we, we've, we've, got our, we've got our deposits on Starlink already. So hopefully Elon Musk's program actually comes to fruition. We'll see if it, we'll see if it happens there or not, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, geez, that would be a game changer. That Wouldn't really that would. be, but because there, you know, I've actually got the one in Colorado coming at a house there, and it's you know literally going to be able to take a box and pop it on your uh, outside and plug it in, and you're good to go. And uh, you know that technology would be game changer for things like you're doing. I know um, to be able to remotely offer that 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 service. So, well, absolutely. Um, you know. There's always, I've started some businesses and I've, I've always say I failed more than I've prospered. Um, what was the biggest challenge you had doing this? Where, because yeah, there are some, and it could be, it could have been political slash uh, government, you know, entry. Uh, but what was it? Was it finances? Was it government? What was the, What was your big obstacle? Jeez, we've had a lot of obstacles for sure. Um, I mean, we, we started this as three friends that met on the basketball court. Um, one that had a couple months of teaching kids how to code and, and then two guys that were unemployed at the time uh, that needed to learn all this stuff. And I think we've always homegrown the, the whole organization and, and almost all the talent is, is internal. And, and I think just one major challenge has been not knowing what to do and when to do it and, and always just figuring things out as we go and and uh, I mean, I think we all have benefited from mentors and, and just that challenge of, of, I don't know, never having been in this situation before and not knowing how to raise money for a nonprofit, not knowing how to teach in an environment without access. I mean, there's literally, again, there's no one else doing it. I hate to say it, but there's really not other options for these young adults. And that means that, that businesses haven't found any reason to invest in these areas. So we're working with like serious infrastructure constraints. Um, and, th and that's very hard. We, we've been lucky politically, we haven't gotten involved and, and um, we've got all the support that we need from the right folks in government, which is really great. Um, we've gotten really lucky with, with the networking in Zimbabwe. Uh, it's such an amazing place with amazing people and, and our story has been passed around a bit in, in the right circle. So we've, we've won a few grants from the, the different embassies and, and I don't know, we, we've definitely, I mean, challenges there, I can't think of them right now because there've been so many <laughs> and trying say, to well, do it, so many things at once. Yeah. Starting a business. Yeah. <clears throat> just all the intricacies of getting it is, is difficult. I mean, uh, again, I, I understand it's very hard and sometimes you can't put your hand on one because there's a new one going to pop up tomorrow. Right. And you'll, you'll deal with that one when it comes it's, across too. 
it's been a constant challenge, but it's been an unbelievable like source of, of joy and fulfillment. And, and now that things are really starting to work, um, now that our students are really starting to go and get jobs elsewhere, it just makes it all so, so worth it. Uh, and it's taken a while to get to that point because we, we chose to expand um, pretty, fairly rapidly going from one to three to six locations. And, and we needed to hire a lot of our students internally and, and the challenges of COVID. I mean, you can't overstate how difficult COVID, COVID makes things and, and me being seven hours behind and, and a world away uh, definitely makes it difficult, but geez, it's been fun. It's been exhausting. Hey, and, Only and six hours now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, a um, couple, couple last quick questions and uh, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up, but you, the work you've done is centered on obviously the high density, the low income areas in Zimbabwe and, and teaching a, a high tech skill, which is quite unusual. Um, we, we tend to think um, low income, poverty level, let's teach low job skills, let's teach them how to weave a basket or something, right? You've done totally opposite. You've, you've teaching them some, some very high end tech skills that most, most kids in the US don't even know, right? When you're talking about coding and programming and robotics and whatnot, um, how has what you're doing with Uncommon in, impacted your lives and the lives that you, you see around them? What's, what do you really see is what's the been impactful piece of it? I mean, it's just amazing how many people are now supporting their families. And we have a lot of young uh, parents on our team and, and um, a lot of young people whose, whose parents are unemployed or who are counted on to, to, to buy the groceries and pay the rent. And that's, I mean, you can relate to this with 500 plus employees in an environment where employment is hard to come by. I mean, there's nothing better than seeing someone that was a student and is now an employee buy a car or yeah. just pay the bills uh, to buy a phone. I mean, it's, you can't beat that. Uh, and I just wish that we could pay everybody more. And I, and I'm excited to continue uh, learning uh, how to fundraise and, and learning about development and, and building up the business side of, of the nonprofit. And, and we'd love to be the most competitive right now. We're kind of the McDonald's where the, where the entry level job, you go from, you, you learn what you need to from us take as much from us as you can, maybe get a bit of employment from us too, but really we want to place you somewhere else where you can go and, and, and earn the money that, that will be more yeah. life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't beat that to see, to hear these stories. Uh, I mean, there's one amazing story of this young woman, Tanya, who, this was back when we, in 2017, 2018, when we were just piloting this idea and she strolled into this class uh, a couple of weeks after we had started and it was all boy basketball players and, and that we were working with at the time. And she's 16 or 15 and, and she comes in and, and asks, she heard about this computer thing. Can I join? And we said, yeah, a couple of days into it, she was identified as like the star in the group. And she was teaching all the older, all the older boys. And, and after a few months of working with her, we realized she was very special. We asked her, Tanya, could you please uh, apply for this program? In, in New York City, Girls Who Code. We don't know what's going to happen, but we might as, you know, you should apply for this summer immersion program. And I think she just humored us uh, and, and, you know, just went along with us and, and helped us with that. And um, 
then we went home. This was after that first four month test and we kind of lost touch with Tanya. Um, and, and I got an email from Girls Who Code that she was accepted and that she was the first ever international student accepted on a scholarship to come. Um, and I, I got in touch with Tanya and, and a day before she had found out that she was pregnant at 16 years old and, and then couldn't make it to this program because of that. Um, and it was hard. It was devastating. It was hard. I mean, she was, she really wanted to go, but it just, we couldn't make it work anymore. And, and um, a few months later, we're, we're back in Zimbabwe and, and looking for Tanya. And she had just given birth to her, her baby boy, Dwayne. And we found her and, and asked her if she'd be willing to work for us. And, and we didn't know in what capacity, but could she, could she, she was such a, a gifted programmer. Could she just be on our team and, <clears throat> and really keep learning? And she was so happy about that. And, and now Tanya, um, she, she runs the whole education, the coding education across all six of our locations. She was just um, honored by Zim Women Roar as one of the rising stars in, in technology. And she's currently being trained by uh, a software developer that trains Amazon and, and Google developers. And she's in this very select group of, of students. And she's only 21, 22 years old. She's wow. an amazing mother. She's the breadwinner in her family. Uh, and those stories, we have a lot of stories like that. Tanya's is very special. She was, you know, one of our first ever students um, and her story is moving, but there's a lot of young adults in our program that have similar stories of, of perseverance and, and it just, it just makes it all worth it. Absolutely. Well, you're going to have, you're going to have with the impact you're making, you're going to have a lot more of those stories and, you know, you're going to start to see those more and more. And it's interesting just to kind of piggyback on what you said. Uh, un unlike here in the U S you may have a 19, 20 year old, 21 year old go to work uh, in the U S they, that's their party money. That's their buy new pair of shoe money. That's their, get the designer gene money or whatever it is. But in, in Zim, as you know, <clears throat> we've got a lot of young 20s that, that they're, they're supporting their family. It could be not only them, they're possibly a child, but typically a parent or a grandparent or somebody else and living under one household. I think uh, uh, we have a pastoral care team and I think they've determined that uh, an, on average, we have almost six people being supported are living within the confines of that same housing area. So you know, yeah. you, you start kind of kind of breaks it down like that. And you realize that one job uh, impacting six and, you know, 500 jobs impacts 3000. So you start thinking, wow, how can we uh, increase the, the number of, of positions there? So, yeah, well, just keep doing what you're doing. I, um, you know, we've got a win, win, win philosophy here. One is when when somebody gives a job, one of our outsourcing jobs or insourcing, as we call it. Uh, that provides a job for the person. That's the first win. Second win is we, th we know that the clients we have in the U.S. and abroad, uh, they get a win because they're getting an amazing person. And uh, the third win is we give 51% of our profits back to, to ministries and uh, uh, organizations that, that are also doing kingdom work. So, uh, Peter, I just wow. you know, I really got to uh, commend you on the work that you're doing. That's, that's really pretty incredible. Well, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to share the story. And yeah, it really, really means a lot. And, and I didn't even realize that last bit about what you guys are doing. So that's just extraordinary. And I, and I hope you continue to grow. And I'm sure you will. As you know, there's, there's so much talent. So maybe there'll be synergies down the road. I mean, definitely, 
we can be that source of, of bottom of the pyramid talent and, and pass them up the, the rung. So uh, yeah, it's well, wonderful talking with you and thank you so much for this opportunity. You bet. Well, Peter, thank you. Thanks for inspiring uh, not only the people there, but the people who hear this, because, you know, I think a lot of times you're, you're right. We, we get caught up into what's our goal or what's our dream, but I know one of my, I know one of the old, old, uh, uh, motivational leaders, Zig Ziglar said, if you, if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll get all of what you want. And I think that's true. You know, if you just really put Amen. your mind in the right place. Amen. So, well, Peter, thanks for joining us and thanks for everybody for listening in for an, another edition of Global Impact. And we just hope that you as well will keep on doing whatever you can to make your business an impact on the world. Have a great week. 